response to the climate and ecological crisis requires heaps of innovation. We need to transform entire industries, reskill the workforce and create new jobs. That's one huge challenge, but one giant opportunity. So how does this affect you and your sector? Content with Purpose partners with professional member associations and trade bodies to delve into the future of their industries, asking the tough questions and showcasing the innovation propelling our net zero ambitions. Subscribe to this podcast to learn how the professionals in those industries are contributing towards our collective efforts to reach net zero and a more sustainable and prosperous future. Leading the Charge, Opportunity in Transition, a podcast series produced by Content with Purpose in partnership with the ECA. Welcome to Leading the Charge, the ECA and Content with Purpose podcast series that delves into how our journey to net zero is transforming the electrotechnical sector. I'm your host, Rob Smith, and we are right at the moment for electrotechnical professionals to really seize the opportunity and potential of clean electricity and in doing so accelerate that transition to net zero and today's episode is concentrating on future proofing your business we know that whoever is leading the uk over the next five years uh, the country is already legally committed to transitioning to net zero by 2050 so the questions that are unanswered are all around how we do that what technologies will win in the various races already underway in transport, in power generation, in storage, in heating and cooling. And with so many variables up in the air, how can someone in the electrotechnical sector make sure that whatever their skills and expertise now, they don't get left behind? Just 20 years ago, Woolworths and British Home Stores and Debenhams were huge names on our high streets, but they didn't react to changes in how the world works, and now they're just memories. So if you don't want your company to be tomorrow's Woolies listen up. So joining me for this episode are Martin Baxter, who's Director of Policy and External Affairs at IEMA and uh, the Green Jobs Delivery Group, and Andrew Weston, who's the Technical Director at Imtech. Um, Martin, if I could turn to you first, let's give us a bit of background about what IEMA is and what you actually do. Well, hi, Rob. IEMA is the professional body for people working in sustainability. Um, so we have members in... 115 countries around the world, and they're all working to transform the world to sustainability. They might be heads of sustainability, head of environments, they might be working on compliance, they might be working on developing their organization's strategy for how they're going to transition to a net zero future. But typically, they'll be working with the multidisciplinary aspects of environment sustainability, so not just around climate change and net zero. They might also be working on circular economy and the way in which you manage waste and resources. They could also be working on natural capital and biodiversity. So um, really interesting. And we have members in all sectors of the economy. In terms of my role, I lead on our work with governments, quite often working with um, senior policymakers and legislators to put laws and regulations into place. Um, But also, as part of that, I'm a member of the government's Green Jobs Delivery Group. What that's tasked with doing is supporting the development of half a million clean, green, well-paid jobs by 2030. And what's really interesting about this, and it doesn't happen very often, but it is actually a cross-government group. So on the group is the Climate Change Minister, the Skills Minister, the Education Minister, 
and the environment minister. And those departments are working collaboratively because they recognise that skills is important in delivering this sustainable economy that we're looking to see. That's really interesting to hear that. And it's really crucial, isn't it? Because um, policy, government policy, regulation, frameworks, all those kind of things are absolutely key to making sure any of these changes can happen. Absolutely. I mean, firstly, having that long-term policy certainty is really important. And I think under the Climate Change Act, what we've seen is you know, a series of carbon budgets be set. And from that, we've been able to see, and renewables has been you know, a really big part of this um, journey towards decarbonising the UK's um, economy and our, and our emissions. And pretty much when you compare to where we were in 1990, we're round about halfway on that journey to net zero. So we've been able to cut our emissions by round about 50%. Um, renewables has been really important um, in that removing um, dirty coal from our energy infrastructure and now we're into the next phase and if we look forward we've got um, carbon budgets out to the period 2032 to 2037 and that represents we need to be at a 78% emissions reduction by then and so how we decarbonize heat how we decarbonize transport are absolutely um, critical and within that, then, of course, um, the electrotechnical sector has a critical role, role to play. And within that, skills is going to be, you know, a real um, important part of enabling those organisations to take the opportunities that are no doubt going to be there. Leading the charge, opportunity in transition. This episode is sponsored by the electric heating company and Actemium. The Electric Heating Company is one of the foremost suppliers of electric heating and hot water products in the UK. Actemium's 20,000 experts work to deliver a range of safe and sustainable solutions and services across the entire industrial life cycle. Learn more about how they are leading the charge towards a sustainable future on our digital series website, leadingthecharge.eca.co.uk. Leading the charge, opportunity in transition. Let's bring Andrew into it now. Um, uh, Andrew Weston, you're the, the technical director at Imtech. Now, for people who you're, you're kind of one of the biggest companies that people may not have heard of. Give us a, an idea about what Imtech actually does and what your role is. So um, Imtech are, are um, looking at the built environment. So we provide customers with new buildings or we retrofit existing buildings with their challenge to achieve net zero. So our business is over £400 million. In, as a group, um, we're also part of ADF, so we have that knowledge and experience that we bring to our customers. So every single project, whether it's new build or retrofit, we're looking, talking to them about how they can move to a net zero solution for their buildings moving forward. Um, we look at their whole life impact of the project. So we look at not just the electrical supply, but how the materials that are being used in the project, so it's called embodied carbon, how they impact on the project as well. So there's a number of areas that we try and give them a, um, a whole life, as I say, position of their project and whether it's going to, what that impact is to make sure they do the right choices at design stages and deliver that. And as we were hearing from Martin there, you know, talking about the, the, the connections that there are at the highest level in government and the different policies and frameworks that are in place, how vital are they from your perspective to have policies and frameworks in place to allow net zero changes to actually happen? 
It's it, it's vital because the we're looking at um, some projects. So take the the public sector at the moment. The public sector have what's called the uh, decarbonisation scheme, and the government put in over a billion pounds worth of funds into that, giving the public sector the grants to transition from fossil fuels to um, to electricity to to net zero carbon solutions and to improve their energy efficiency. And that has really driven the performance of the buildings over the last two years. Um, and that they're going to the second stage now, third stage now, sorry. And what we're looking at now is um, how do we keep doing that across the public sector buildings? And that's driven by policy, that policy and, and frameworks were set up to make sure that the public buildings are, doing, are making that change. What we need to do now is ensure that the private sector follow along and at the moment we need to get some policies in place to make sure that they are incentivized to do the change to net zero right and that's the key thing isn't it that that at the moment do you feel that there isn't kind of enough policy or regulation in place to actually nudge people along is it just kind of up to individual companies having a conscience to do it it, it is mainly to, it's either conscience or driven by their customers. So commercial buildings attended over the last 18 months have pretty much moved away from fossil fuels to um, net zero carbon solutions. And that's because they cannot let the buildings without that policy in place now. So they've done that themselves. Um, other sectors are taking time to get that resolution um, because there's no incentive. If you look at electricity, it's four times the cost of other fossil fuels, fossil fuels and electrical supply. So how do we um, incentivize them to look at that? And one way would be to look at um, decarbonizing the grid. Sorry, didn't oh, we got that wrongly? One way would be to. Um, get them to have a carbon tax so we move costs to carbon rather than on their electrical tariffs that would be a better way of making us more centralized on the carbon impact rather than just electric tariffs if you know right okay and i think we'll, we'll get a lot more into the whole carbon tax thing a little bit later in the in the conversation well martin let's let's it's, it feels like a good point to bring you back into it then because you're you're sitting there kind of between industry and government and raising all those kind of issues about how to actually incentivize those changes yeah and you know andrew makes some really important points i think you know some of the things that we're seeing is on the one hand um organizations mobility is a really good example actually where the economic case is now weighing heavily in favor of moving towards electric vehicles as the solution. Um, only the other week, Amazon announced it was going to spend over a billion euros on electrification of its vehicle fleet, including HGVs. Now, that, to my mind, is a business which is, um, if I said rampantly commercial, um, what I mean by that is, this isn't an altruistic move on their part. This is um, this makes good business sense for them. So when you have major companies like that that are saying, actually, the electrification of um, a key aspect of our business, logistics, um, is the way to go. It helps us in terms of our overall cost pro profile, simply because lifetime ownership of electric vehicles is a lot cheaper now than fossil fuels. And that's only going to increase in terms of that, that differential, then you can start to see how major parts of the economy will start to shift. And in part, that's you know from government incentives and 
um, if I say disincentives as well. So, you know, when they say by 2030, there will be no new purely fossil fuel based cars sold in the UK, that generates, uh, you know, a pace of change and investment and R&D into deployment. And so we're seeing that, um, you know, accelerate. We've also seen um, from an energy security perspective, as well as a cost perspective, the role of renewables. Um, and with the UK looking to quadruple the amount of offshore wind between now and around about 2030, then that's a massive investment in um, the technologies which are continuing to drop in cost. Um, and therefore, you know, that differential between on the one hand, gas costs, particularly at the moment, obviously has been a big challenge, and renewables um, becomes, you know, a, a way of both uh, moving towards a net zero, zero future and looking at where, you know, costs, uh, cost savings or, or reduced exposure to, to volatile prices um, uh, is happening. And then that, that, you know, is surely good for UK business um, competitiveness and productivity. Um, so we're seeing that happening more and more. It's interesting. It seems to be that, that stuff is being kind of led by industry at the moment rather than being led by government. But those couple of key big policy decisions are real drivers in it. So ending the sale of new petrol and diesel cars has really framed people's thought processes. So I, I, Andrew mentioned a carbon tax. That would be an enormous change in sort of incentives that are going forward. Is that being discussed at the at the top level at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, to a certain extent, we have a carbon tax on energy production simply because the emissions trading scheme that we have puts a price on carbon. Um, and part of the acceleration away from coal in the UK has been driven by that carbon pricing. Um, secondly, we have had you know the climate change levy on energy bills, which and on the back of that, climate change agreements, um, which have helped to accelerate that action as well. I think more and more, and and on a, a on a macro scale, certainly the EU and the UK are both looking at whether we put in place what's called a carbon border adjustment tax. So if you can ensure that um, you um, disincentivize or penalize imports which are um, from areas which have high dependencies on fossil fuels which may give a short-term competitive advantage to those who are exporting to the UK then you level the playing field between those markets where prices on carbon are being applied and that then gives you, um, you know, a greater opportunity to um, developed markets here in the UK on, on, on a par and you don't have what's called carbon leakage. So there's a lot happening in, in terms of how you price carbon and where you price it. I think across the whole value chain that becomes important. But another really interesting one, if I can just kind of follow this one, because, you know, um, mm -hmm. it, it might seem a bit odd as, a, as an environmentalist, you know, I often say follow the money. And government spending is clearly a significant driver of economic activity. Um, cabinet Office guidance um, issued in 2021 basically says if you want to bid for a contract from government that's over £5 million in value, 
You have to have a net zero target as a business in order to be able to bid for that contract. You have to have a plan to deliver it, and you're going to have to demonstrate your performance. And tens of billions of pounds worth of government contracts have now been let only to organisations that have that carbon net zero target. Andrew, let's bring you back in to, for a moment on there, because that, that is, as you say, Martin, that's the kind of thing that's going to make a big difference, isn't it? I think there is. Um, it's the um, carbon reduction plan. Every business that's getting involved in uh, government projects above five million, as, as uh, Martin says, needs to have a carbon reduction plan in place, and that is that first tier supply chain. I think that was that's that's something that's happening at the moment. That's policy that's in place. I think when we talk about electric vehicles, some of the policy in place around that is good. It's like the planning permissions for new buildings, there is a requirement to install EV charge points at those locations. I think the, if I talk about my industry, construction industry, as the industry, as the businesses, like main contractors across the whole of the industry, are all moving to electric vehicles within their fleet, and that's that's happening there. That's that's a pretty much standard across every one of the main contractors that we deal with. Uh, what we're doing as an industry now is pushing our supply chain. So we're trying to get what's called final mile EVs. So deliveries at the final, it's not necessarily a mile, but the final delivery from a depot to the sites, we're trying to push towards um, getting those done through electric vehicles as well. So there's a lot happening on the electrical vehicle front that needs to continue happening really. And I, I led this whole conversation off talking about future-proofing your business. And it's really essential that, that we keep in mind the fact that there are these sort of huge changes are starting to happen and are going to accelerate in happening. Um, but you need to have the people and the skills and the incentives to make sure that if you're a you know jobbing electrical company, you can actually take advantage of that. You don't get left behind. Yeah, I think the industry is moving away from fossil fuels. That's that's what we're doing. We're going towards electrical heating and installations on projects. That's where the focus is. They, there is talk of um, hydrogen, but I think that's 30 years away from now. So they need to. we still need to consider that as a potential future because some of these projects last 60 years. So how can they be adaptable for that in the future is one key point. But initially, it's how do we reduce the energy used and how do we use it effectively uh, and making sure the grid um, are local to those buildings it can support that changeover to electricity that's the important thing as well we need to think about moving forward so uh, martin let's come back to you um if we talk about costs i mean there, there are significant costs around the cost of doing nothing aren't there absolutely i mean the, the there are a number of um, considerations as we move towards this, um, what I would call a new economy or a green economy. Um, one is the way in which you know businesses are going to have to kind of invest, and maybe you know that it's heavier on capex and lower on opex. Um, that's for you know businesses to work out how they get that initial funding in place. So you know, we talked about electric vehicle bigger upfront costs at the moment. Um, potentially you can kind of lease them, but then your OPEX is much lower. That's important as you operate as a business. It's also operate, also key for public sector organisations who may be letting contracts to understand where that kind of hits as well. Um, so that that's important. But every time that you do nothing on a project um, and, and you just maintain the status quo, you're 
increasing the likelihood that there's going to have to be retrofit on a particular project. So Andrew's kind of involved in buildings and construction and infrastructure. You know, if we don't make sure that everything that we are putting in place now is going to be operable in a net zero future, then somebody somewhere is going to have to go back and unwind or put some additional investment in, and therefore that's going to cost you in the long term. And what we don't want are a whole load of assets that are not net zero proofed um, from today because we know it's coming. Um, so that's really important for designers of systems to be able to kind of move that forward. Andrew, you're desperate to jump in there. It's interesting that uh, the conversation still is around the monetary cost um, for me and a lot of the customers, quite a few customers I now speak to are talking about the carbon cost is what we should be talking about. That's the that's the critical point here. If the if we carry on putting the carbon into the atmosphere, look what it's going to mean on a climate change on a global point of view. So, and that it, it's refreshing when you hear customers have those conversations, and they're not just talking about. I know the cap the capex and the opex is important, but they actually really understand the importance of let's reduce the carbon impact. That's why when we talked about the tariffs and. We know there's a levy on electricity, but bringing that out and saying this is what the, I don't think customers understand when they've got a building how much the cost of carbon is. So by having a separate tariff, pulling it out from the um, other tariffs that are there, showing it as an independent thing, this is what the carbon part of your tariff costs you. Giving that visual understanding on how much carbon costs us from a commercial bit, but looking at the global impact overall is, is key as well and it, it, it has to be said that if you're a, a smaller business person or if you're buying a house and you're you're having a new place built it's still expensive to put new technology systems in in comparison to putting in an old gas central heating boiler so lots of big building operations are still going on putting up thousands of houses around the uk that are not currently putting in the new technologies when they could be because they haven't been pushed in that direction to do that yet that's true yeah and there's a, there's a lot of projects that uh, are looking at the initial capex to install something so they're they're going with solutions that are less carbon saving <laughs> so even if they put a, a um, go, go with a, a net zero solution actually what is the whole life carbon impact of that i mean it's difficult to understand so if i give an example of one kilowatt of solar panels the carbon to actually do the install, to buy the materials, to get the materials from the ground, to actually do all that, what's the embedded carbon associated with it, is quite high. But you save double the carbon if you were to, when you from, compared to using grid from electricity from the grid. So it's still a viable solution. Mm -hmm. But there's other solutions when they're looking at heating, where they look at, say, VRF systems, which are, are, are calling using a refrigerant but the refrigerants have high carbon impact. So make sure that we're looking at the whole life impact of that carb of that solution rather than just one aspect of it moving forward. Okay, Martin, so when you're sat down in the room with um, government ministers and you do come at this whole question from a, an environmental perspective, do they get that? Do they understand those arguments? Are they listening to that? I would say yes, and you know it's you know it's politicians that have put in place the laws. It's politicians that sign off the guidance that says you have to have this in place. And I think increasingly they're hearing this from voters as well. 
Um, interestingly, in, um, in the middle of September, so right at the heart of um, both economic uncertainty, political uncertainty, when the Office for Nat National Statistics um, surveyed people about their key concerns and worries, um, the joint top two highs were firstly cost of living for people, but secondly, at, at the same level, climate change. This is something that increasingly people are seeing the effects of a changing climate on their livelihoods, on their communities. They're experiencing it for real, and they can equate that with the need to do something about it. And so organizations that are, you know, want to be successful are going to have to be, you know, they, they need to be part of the solution. And being able to retain and uh, recruit the most talented people in part there's lots of evidence now coming out that says if you haven't got a coherent climate change plan and a sustainability strategy um, actually people don't want to necessarily work for you so I think you know having that as part of your um, mix is really important if you want to be successful over the longer term. And of course, one of the other factors that's really come to the fore over the course of last year is um, the idea of actually having some energy security. We've seen the impact of Putin in Ukraine has really changed the game on lots of levels, which means that there are big opportunities for businesses in the UK to change systems and to actually alter the way that we go about generating and storing and, and distributing our electricity to make sure that it's not dependent on outside factors. Yeah, absolutely. And we see, you know, renewables is, you know, a key part of that. There's big questions around um, whether or not nuclear is going to be scaled up. But the move away from fossil fuels is going to be absolutely vital, both for our climate change security as well as our energy security uh, over the longer term. Um, question is how fast we can go. Um, there's real competition for. Um, lots of the technologies to be deployed in lots of parts of the world as a result of this. So there's a competitive advantage for being ahead of the curve. And there's also you know, business export opportunities as well as we start to develop leading approaches to resolving some of these issues, which, which, which is obviously attractive as well. So, Andrew, I mean, you're actually involved in industry, are you kind of optimistic about the, the the changes in the direction that we can be heading in? Yeah, there's. I mean, the the industry is changing. It is moving in the right direction. It is net zero solutions being installed in buildings is high on the list of every single project we deal with. It's being dealt with quite quickly. Uh, sorry, it's being dealt with quite on every single project. As I say, the challenge is is the time for me. I'm really want to make us next zero carbon next week if I could, but that's never going to happen. The problem is, is how long it takes. So some parts of our sectors are not making that change quickly enough from my point of view to get us to achieve the government targets. And which so that's bits why. of the sectors are not changing quickly enough? Uh, it's those commercial sectors, the industrial sectors that are commercially driven. They, that, why should they, how do they change their factory and their processes in order to ensure that they're going towards net zero carbon solutions? Um, there is potential opportunities for them to put, if they've got big industrial sites, putting lots more PV on those sites and using that PV or sharing it back to the grid. It's just incentivizing them to do that change because 
they're a commercial environment. They've, they've got to make money in what, what the product they're, build, they're supplying. So how do they get incentivized to generate their own energy to generate and does that fundamentally come down then to arguments around how much it costs to put new systems in and how long it would cost to how long it would take to get your money back yeah yeah it's all down to um I forgot what it's called it's, it's called all down to that lifetime life expectancy uh, payback period sorry mm-hmm. it's all to do with payback period and how quickly people get response from that and and also the policies if people i keep pushing on about it but if they company doesn't know how much carbon it's producing because it hasn't done the assessment and we're not giving them the this is how much that carbon costs you they're not they've got no drive to do it to some degree they got they don't understand if you don't understand and have the data to know what your impact is you can't do anything about it so giving them the data in the first place is is key for me from really crucial really crucial okay so in that case what would your your kind of key takeaway be for um, anybody who's listening to this, what's the one message, Andrew, we'll, we'll go with you first. What's the one message you want people to take away from this conversation? Um, so it, so the, 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 the biggest thing I look at now, as opposed to 12 months ago, is the whole life carbon impact. Don't just look at the saving today on what you can make on your, by changing to, by decarbonisation, your energy coming into the building look at the whole life impact because that is going to be the long-term legacy that we're going to give to anybody that comes along after us really if we're giving them buildings that cannot perform in a net zero way and reduce their operation and maintenance carbon as well as their opex carbon so that they're not replacing things regularly look at the circular economy and that's all part of the same thing of looking at the whole life carbon impact so that's where i would push people to start looking at now to get a better impact on that and you, you've been involved in the industry for a, for a few years yourself what would you say to people who are, are thinking about a career thinking about getting into the electrotechnical side of of industry it, it, it's massive. It's, it's it's changing. So it's 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 really exciting that the the change is happening so quickly, um, and we need the young people into our industry. So there's a there's, I've got a nephew who's working. He's just moving into the industry, and he sees the possibility of being able to come along with his ideas and share them with us and and look at ways moving forward. It's that it's that change that's happening. It's not stuck in the past it's, it's continually evolving our solutions so having people come into the industry with it we're excited with about net zero and are excited about the future of the the country let's get them um working on these net zero solutions and listen to their ideas is key for me and martin uh your key takeaway what's the the the, the main idea the main important thing that you want people to take away from this conversation I mean, I think for me, this is a really exciting time because there's the opportunity for people either already working in the electrotechnical sector or who are looking to develop a career in it to be part of the solution to the biggest challenge that we face, which is climate change. And I think as we see, you know, the investment in R&D, in innovation, um, coupled with entrepreneurial spirit and flair there's a massive amount of change that's happening and it's change that is driving towards a positive future so i think if you want to be 
um, future-proof your career opportunities, if you want to future-proof your business, then you're going to be developing solutions to um, a changing climate. And that's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for your family, your friends. And ultimately, it's going to be really rewarding, hopefully, and I'm pretty certain, um, you know, from a commercial perspective, but also just in terms of doing the right thing. Are you, are you optimistic we can actually do it? We've got all the solutions that we need. So this is, I mean, we're going through massive systems change. Um, if we were to deploy all the technologies um, at scale and at pace, then we can definitely tackle the climate crisis. This is, um, it's not that insurmountable in terms of um, we don't know how to do it. We know what needs to be done. We know where we are now. And we know if we were able to align all of these technologies quickly enough um, and deploy them and it's you know and it's translating ambition into action and it's not just talking about it it's actually doing it so people like andrew are kind of doing great work deploying all of these technologies but the more we did that uh, and the faster we do the more likely it is that we will succeed well it's really invigorating to to hear all of this that there is a lot of optimism there we've got the solutions we just got to actually make it happen and that there's amazing opportunities martin and andrew thank you both uh, ever so much for being with us today um so many elements for professionals to think about in the way that they structure their business and for people to think about individually and what their personal responsibilities are as as citizens and as parents and as voters and if we are going to transition to net zero by 2050 and head off the worst effects of climate change we need to start making those really significant changes well pretty much now Um, and that's going to require a tremendous effort from all of us some uncomfortable changes for some uh, but some big shifts in government thinking and in resourcing the key thing that we really have to remember is that there are grounds for real optimism and we can make those changes and we can avoid the most devastating outcomes. And most of all, there are tremendous opportunities available for those who take the leap and lead the charge. I'm Rob Smith. Thank you very much for being with us. Thanks once again to the sponsors of this episode, The Electric Heating Company and Actemium. You can read, watch and learn more about their work and about the full Leading the Charge series by going to leadingthecharge.eca.co.uk or simply search for Leading the Charge online. And don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on social to check out more of our podcast collaborations.